Hey everybody, welcome to Public Access America's Just a Tip. Hey, welcome to another episode of Public Access America. My name is Jason, but there is many people that are a part of this podcast. We're about to sit down with Jeffrey, my partner, and Marco from the Audio Pong Podcast. So my first tip, I guess, would be go ahead and seek out the Audio Pong Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, anywhere you find your favorite podcast, the same way you would find Public Access America. But my real tip, I think, is take the opportunities to interact with the people that you get a chance to interact with, right? We don't always get the chance to learn the lessons we want to learn, but we do have the opportunity to take advantage of the lessons that we're taught. Maybe not being the smartest person in the room gives us an opportunity to hear something that we wouldn't normally allow ourselves to hear. That's what this podcast is going to be, so thank you for listening. It's time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because that is how it works. This is the beginning, it is not the finale, and that's why we're here, and that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Uh, is everything clear on my end? Am I uh, coming through clearly? No echoing or anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you sound yeah you're good. Okay. And that's the first thing that actually, like, connected. Well, actually, we connected on Red Circle. and We, we did. We did a yeah, cross-promotion. And our cross-promotion literally lasted, like, three days before it was completed. And that was, like, 500. Like, we switched off. We put 500 of your commercial in our shows. And it was over in, like, three days. And I still have podcasts that are, like, playing my my promo because they don't get the listens that you and i do but then i listen oh well that's, that's good to know yeah and you, that's a good way to look at you it. guys have these like voices that are like butter and i i just i really like audio pong and so hey everybody welcome to public access america my name is jason his name is still jeffrey we're here with marco from audio pong and we get together once a week to talk about the week you can find audio pong or public access america um anywhere you find your favorite podcast spotify apple Podcasts. um i found audio pong on twitter so go find them there and um for our disabled listeners try victor reader or use your audible your your smart device and ask it to play the latest episode of either show and um i don't know you might want to switch to audio pong this week because the topics might get a little heavy because this has been a real 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 week guys you know but i want to i want to start yep. out by turning people on to audio pong in case this gets too heavy they know where to go so what marco what is audio pong all about hi right, thanks jason and jeffrey for having me on mm-hmm. uh audio pong is an art project uh you could say it started as uh, two guys that just had really great conversations and touched on a lot of topics and sometimes we'd speak for hours sober even which was surprising and we thought well you know let's just add a microphone to this and see where it goes and it turned into something that we just really love to do uh we used to do it weekly now we do it sort of bi-weekly that way it gives us more of a chance to research a topic i think we're more into at least recently we've been more into like book studies like book reviews things like that trying to be able to talk more about a topic that interests us but that's really all that it is at, at the moment at least um, it's a foundation for us to to do more with and uh, and to to talk with people, even if it's just ourselves. I feel what's great about radio or podcasting in general is that it's a conversation, mm. sort of existentially between people around the world. That's right. And I always think if we can, it's like a dinner table. If people are listening to you, then they're learning mm. how to have conversations without being angry and fighting with each other because right, they hear people right. just talking and like. I think what you guys do is you you offer a little gift or 
several gifts in the show, but then you open it up and you don't really have to define it to describe it. And I think that's really cool. The way you attack things like, is love real? You know, that just stopped me in my tracks. I was like, I never even really thought of that. You know what I mean? So I, I like the topics you cover. I like the way you non-judgmentally address them. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Definitely. Is there anything on your mind this week? And did, did this week just conjure up anything? Well, you know, uh, I was listening to one of your episodes, I think it was your last one, actually, uh, Jeffrey had mentioned Parthenex, and I just wanted to say I love that quote as well. Nice. But th that's a that's a week out, I should have my own, I guess. <laughs> um, words of wisdom. Um, something that's always on my mind is um, mental health. And there's a really interesting psychologist named Guy Winch. I'm not exactly sure which part of the world he's from, but it's somewhere in Europe. You should definitely give a listen to him. And the point that he makes is that we never prioritize our mental health. You know, if we get a scrape, we put a bandage on it. If we break a leg, we see a doctor to fix it. But when it comes to something mentally, we do, we leave it alone or, or, or worse, we attack it, right? Where we become our, our own enemy. Right. And it could be something minute, you know, like how you close that drawer, slam that door. And I guess my top of mind is um, stress. It relates in the way that uh, everything that we do in life, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this, I, I don't know how many times, but everything we do is a management of stress, right? Even to the most minute detail or event. And so that's always on my mind. I guess that I'll go with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I distract myself from stress. How about you, Jeffrey? Oh, um, well, I mean, it just kind of depends for me. It depends on where I'm at. I actually like to bake when I'm stressed. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's not necessarily one of the it's not necessarily you know one of the you know maybe healthiest choices but <laughs> it's kind of that you know it kind of goes back to that you know what can i smell what can i taste what can i touch what can i hear you know what you know just kind of grounding myself is what i'm doing right and i never and i never understood that for a lot of years when i would get super stressed out i would turn on music and i would start baking it turns out it's a grounding technique. I didn't have the words for it because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. But as I've come to learn, I'm grounding myself. Like I'm, it's like, oh. you know, getting out of my own head for a minute and, you know, using, you know, cause baking is a, very much a science and using that to, you know, make something, smell something, taste something, hear something, feel something. And then come back to whatever it is that has me stressed out on the downside because I actually do just enjoy baking. <laughs> Sometimes I'll just be like, you know, I'm going to make some cookies today. This just sounds great. Debbie walks in. It's like, you okay, buddy. Uh -huh. like, oh yeah, no, I'm actually that. fine. I'm actually perfectly fine. I just wanted to make cookies. <laughs> cooking is cooking in general is surprisingly, um, entertaining and, um, yeah. the problem solving. That's something that I love is to problem solve and, and cooking and baking. Definitely. I would agree with that. That's a good way to, to sort of exercise your mental ability even yeah and it, mm -hmm. you do something with your hands when you're in the kitchen that doesn't allow you to be on your phone or the tablet you know that's a good point yeah yep. this, so the, cool. the disconnection from uh technology is i guess also a top of mind <laughs> yeah well yeah, yeah i've been i've been slowly doing that i mean being a podcaster and having to promote like the show is one thing but i've limited where i do that in my exposure to other things and Things that I don't approve oh, we, of. We struggle with that. You know? Yeah. Now, we struggle with that quite a bit because uh, Zach and I are both of a similar mind when it comes to using social media. Um, we don't like it. We don't like doing it. So we're, we're really bad to use car salesmen about our own content. Right. And <laughs> you, you made a good point. Actually, I was surprised, rather, that you mentioned you found us on Twitter. That blows my mind. That is, next to YouTube, the thing we use the least and you know something I should improve on. Um, well, actually it, I've, I've been, I research politicians, I research, I scientists. And so the first thing I do when I hear a name is go to Twitter, type it in. And because that offers me a link, like every politician has a link to their office and phone number. It's required on every mm. public, um, profile they have. So I've just learned how to research people and yeah, that was amazing. So I tweeted you out as a podcast recommendation and I like that. Oh, thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, no, I, I, I like having a group of people that just communicate and then just like swapping perspectives and seeing where that goes. You know, like you said, last week we had Deja 
who was a Latino transgender Democrat in Philadelphia, you know, and it was like, let's bring that perspective in and see where the conversation goes. You know, it was a very interesting. Yeah, that was a very interesting show to listen to. And and I agree. That's actually where I want to take our show next is to do more of what we're doing right now. Even if it's, you know, repeated, I think it's, it's great. It's very interesting to me. Oh, we, I think we repeat mental health every week. Don't we, Jeffrey? If it doesn't come up every week, I'm honestly surprised. (laughs) But, you know, you think about it, you know, where else, where else do you hear the topic of mental health? And I, and that's, that's a real question for me Mm -hmm. because you don't, you don't really talk about it at work unless something comes up. You don't really talk, you know, maybe you talk about it at home. Um, I mean, I had to have some very tough conversations around mental health at home this week, um, you know, with, with one of my kids and that's, you know, Marco, kind of what you said, you know, I, we've kind of gotten to the point, at least in this house where, you know, if if you need a a mental bandaid, you know, we've kind of, we, we've, we've really embraced the idea of taking mental health days, you know, because there are some things that come up that just absolutely drain you. They're absolutely difficult. And to not take some time away to either process or, you know, come down from whatever you've had to experience. Like if, if you don't take that time, you know, it comes back, it bottles you, it, you bottle it up and, you know, you don't deal with it all that well. And so really it's, I, I I don't really know where else you necessarily have such an open forum about mental health unless you're going to see, you know, a, you know, somebody who specializes in mental health. Well, that's a good point. And I, I think about that too. I mentioned, um, I've mentioned before uh, a psychologist and author, Daniel Kahneman, and he talks about that too, that these, these quietly, I, this is not verbatim, but he refers to these sort of quiet taboos that we just don't bring up in any philosophical way between strangers and coworkers or even, you know, acquaintances, um, because we're sort of always in a persona that is the idea that, well, we're in a persona that is a commercial for our most likable self, right? right? Mm -hmm. And serious or negative or philosophical things often conjure a lot of negative thoughts. They, 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 they require us to be rational or, or, or logical, that, that sort of thing, maybe critical. Uh, or even argue and debate, which I, I actually believe that many people, in my opinion, that I've met and spoken to aren't ready to properly debate. And that's something that I study all the time myself. I, I think it should be a class even in public school. I think debating is very important, how to speak to each other. Agreed. makes a big difference. I mean, civics civics used to be uh, you right. know, taught in schools you know, back in the day. It was one of those things where we always, you know, my, my mom always talked about the fact that, you know, they took government classes, they took um, any number of different things in order to get, um, you know, to kind of inform themselves, but, you know, in order to go out in public. And these are things that have not really happened in a long time. And so it's really pretty surprising that we don't talk about that at all. Yeah, I would even say it's it's um, it's rather disconcerting. It's disheartening because I think civics and art, and when I say art, I mean music, writing, drawing, all of that. Spontaneous uh, thoughts. Yeah, they, they're necessary for imagination, and imagination is how you solve any problem. Oh my God, you were talking about that. I do want to say, like, I think what Jeffrey was talking about, I think we create a schedule for our day, but we don't leave time for spontaneous things that fall into our lap. So we mm-hmm. immediately become overwhelmed because we don't just lay around. And I like taking a day at the end of the week to think about the week, to prioritize what I'm going to do going forward. I like having that mental day. And you, what you were describing is almost like what we portray in public is an avatar of ourselves and we we don't spend a lot of time on the wizard of oz behind the curtain but we 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 sculpt our avatars to be what we think people want and that that causes a disconnect and a lot of stress sure. you know and I mean, yeah i mean we're creatures of uh, first impressions right it out mm-hmm. and, well it's also i would also say that you know when we um when we find co-workers that get we get along with really well it's not because they've 
you know, they think our, our sales pitch self is all that great. It's because they've actually gotten to know the real us. We've gotten to know the real them and we just happen to click really well. Right. I mean, that's case in point with my coworkers. It's like, they see who I am, the jokes I make, the, you know, <laughs> granted, I don't, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say I don't give them my authentic self. I just don't give them my, uh, well, my salty language self. I, I still keep things. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I still think I still keep things somewhat professional in the workplace, you know, yeah. but I don't, you know, but I'm not like giving them my, my dirty jokes and right. crap like that, you know, just because like time and place. Right. Let, it's true. Let other I feel people, like it's changed, let too. other people define the parameters in the situation mm -hmm. and then don't go past those. You know, <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's sort of a wall of filter to uh, let the right ones in, I suppose. Right. Absolutely. But no, to your point, Marco, we do spend a lot of time like, you know, if if we're not at elevator pitch, we're we're at, you know, I would, you know, use car salesmen. You know, we're trying to impress whoever it is that we're trying to get a raise from, yeah. who we're trying to, you know, get promoted from. You know, we spend a lot of time with that rather than, you know, just saying, hey, look, you know. I, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You you clearly trust me with what I'm doing. I I can make that happen. <laughs> I do want to say I forgot to mention at the top of the show. Uh, there's people that lost their mothers in this pandemic, and today takes on a new special meaning for those people that did lose those parental figures or mothers or you know, um, made patriarchal influencers and I, I just want to say happy mother's day to all of you indeed happy mother's day yeah that i wanted to yeah. start the show with that I've, oh i spend all week every day i wake up and i think this is a social media uh driven thing and i try and i always think how am i going to start the show this week and this week i heard a phrase at the beginning of the week and i was like I love it. And I wanted to offer it to everybody as a mental health objective. And it, the word is cuddle puddle. Cuddle puddle is just a puddle of cuddle. And I love the idea of that. All I did was think of rainbows and happiness. So if you're <laughs> going to take a mental health day with your family, maybe put on like a bad movie and just get into a cuddle puddle, you know? And then of course it was abortion and judge Alito. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to start the show with that. And then it was Amber and Johnny. And I was like, Amber, Johnny, and then it was abortion again, <laughs> but then it was Mother's Day. And so I love hearing what was top of mind. I appreciate you taking it in that direction, Marco. Um, we, we promote somebody called the EarKick app, which is a way to document your good and bad days and then see them over time. They have uh, like an audio ambient mixer where you can add music that calms you down and listen to that. And it's just a great app. So go check out the EarKick app, everybody, for better mental health because documenting it is part of recognizing it. You said something about um, trying to fight our, our mental health, like the things that you know we have to fight to get our mental health. And like depression is one of those things. And so what I always say is like, feel your depression, lean into it, like the first day or two, don't, don't live in it, lean into it. And then you'll find out your analytical mind wants to know what that's about. You know what I mean? And then once you start analyzing it, it just becomes blase and no more fun. And you just don't do it. <laughs> well, John Cleese had a really interesting lecture. I think it was back in the seventies, early eighties on creativity and a point that he made, which I think was the strongest takeaway was that you need to assign time for yourself where you are just creative. Yeah. You know, you're just alone and you're creative and the busier your mind is, the more time it's going to take. So for someone like him, he argued that, you know, in half an hour was not enough. He couldn't even, couldn't even quiet his mind down in half an hour. It took, you know, at least an hour. And I, I can relate to that. I, yeah. I don't have the samurai brain that a musician has like my brother mm. who can just pick up a guitar and instantly the world is blinded from his thought. Um, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> and as you, the way you put it, you know, it's Mother's Day. It's it's abortion. There's there's Amber and Johnny, and you know, yeah. and it's just there's things constantly, you know, flooding in, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, those things that we didn't plan for. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I thought it was. Can I leave the gas on? I thought it was interesting. I was when I was looking up 
I was watching, uh, I was watching Ancient Aliens, and they were talking about how uh, Albert Einstein went about his thought process, and he used to do thought experiments. So I looked up thought mm. experiments, and I was listening to your show, and you were you were explaining how you have a hard time meditating or quieting your mind, right? And how it's hard right. it's hard to do that. And I had that problem too. And then I I looked into the thought experiment. And once you can get those going, they're pretty neat. What he imagined was he was riding a light particle through the universe and what the universe would look like during that. And the more we do that, the more we strip away the preconceived definitions of, you know, the borders and we start to imagine things the way they could possibly be. And so I, I just had a real fun time, like looking up thought experiments and different ways to quiet the mind, but yet still think and engage my, my mind as well, because my mind is going to repeat and it's, it's like a slot machine. It's constantly different thoughts. And so, oh, we, yeah, we love rewatching content. Right. So I, and that goes with our own thoughts. I have to like mm -hmm. think, but then throttle down and think and throttle down and think like you said, it can't happen in just an hour, you know? Well, my favorite thought experiment is uh, the pale blue dot by Carl Sagan, Tell me more. which I think was from his first episode of, um, well, I forget the name of the show now. They just redid it with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson not long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, Cosmos. he touches them. Cosmos. Cosmos, thank you, thank you, Jeffrey. Yeah, uh, which is something I highly recommend everybody watch, at least the original <clears> for sure. <throat> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it's a very similar thought experiment, you know, as you pull away from the earth, uh, the trivialities that we deal with on a daily basis, you know, even if we're even if they're just a thought experiment themselves, is just it's so meaningless, right? Uh, not as to say that life itself is meaningless because I don't think it is, I think it's precious, but. Um, to the universe, you know, the universe doesn't care um, <laughs> what we're arguing about. Yeah, no, I I think one of my favorite thought I've got two uh, uh, thought experiments that I absolutely love, and these are some of my favorites to to kind of understand how people think. Um, the first one is, you know, what do you think humanity would look like if you know, aliens actually arrived on this planet and they wanted to meet us not go to war with us just mm -hmm. you know uh -huh. we we actually have definitive proof it's here in your face there is no getting away from it that aliens you know come to visit us you know what does humanity look like that the moment after intelligent life from another planet exists and we have to confront that do all the things that we've thought about suddenly become meaningless? Do they become more meaningful? Do we experience uh, a new love for humanity? Do we experience a new hatred for something different? It's always, it's always interesting for me to see how some people just cannot comprehend the idea that there is any other kind of life form out there besides us. <clears throat> and how some, you know, would be like, I honestly, you know, I don't know what I would do, but I would love to find out. You can imagine. Well, it's it, also too. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's all I had to say. You can imagine it, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's fun to imagine too, and I, I think it's, I think I've had that conversation in different ways with with other people, mm -hmm. and it, it seems that it's almost always instantly a religious conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I forget who coined, who asked the question. It, it might have been uh, Daniel Dennett, but he said, "What, what if God did visit us? Mm -hmm. You know, what, how do we recognize God if 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 He did visit us?" Um, and I actually asked that question once because I have a very religious family. Um, they're mainly Christian. Um, and one question I asked a family member once was, "You know, if if a man walked up to you in your street, he looked like Jesus. He in your mind, he looked like him. He he spoke the way you thought he would speak." He dressed the way you thought he would dress, and he performed a very simple miracle in his hand. He turned an origami frog into a frog. Would you believe him that he was Jesus? And she said, no. And I thought it was very interesting because it seemed convincing to me, but sure. she said, no. I said, well, why not? She said, well, you know, there's people can pull all kinds of tricks. There's there are ways to get around that. So it brought up the idea in my mind, well, then how how do we, why, why do we convince ourselves? Where are our perceptions? Mm -hmm. solid and fluid as as far as that is concerned i think it would be interesting of course to be visited by intelligent life but yeah. i think any life found in the universe outside our planet 
would be uh, profound. Oh, absolutely. If people can and pull tricks, though, couldn't the original Jesus have been pulling tricks? That's always the fun question. And I, I think that we could go down that list of, yeah. you know, the blind man that could see, you know, wasn't that just one of Jesus's friends or, you know, the fig tree that died when Jesus damned it, mm. you know, is, is that just hyperbole or was that a tree that was already dying? Yeah. You know, you could, you can try and, and answer, explain away all of it. And I think you'll get to, you'll get to know a person in, in a way that it, you know, it's, it's funny because you'll see how they'll explain away something that they wholeheartedly believe that's written in the Bible or vice versa. They'll, they'll explain something away, but then, you know, mm -hmm or they'll explain themselves into essentially, you know, believing the Bible. And it's, it's a really interesting concept to watch how people struggle with that back and forth. Yeah. My second favorite thought experiment is it, you know, without this, you know, kind of playing off of the first, if intelligent life shows up with a spaceship and they invite you to another planet, another solar system, another galaxy to watch you know to to live there and experience the sunrise and the sunset knowing that you would have to leave your family behind or you know you could take very few people with you would you leave this planet my answer is yes yeah I would know. and i asked myself the same question from uh, watching that movie um the, what is it the uh, spielberg movie encounters of the third kind oh, close encounters movie? yeah close encounters yeah yep uh, we're going to leave this earth and leave our family behind anyway, regardless. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a, it seems like a terrible thought, but really, it's too exciting to turn down, right? It's just jumping off the end of the pier before you get to the end of the pier. That's all that is. <laughs> you know, and it's and it's funny because you, you get a you get a variety of answers. You have people who are like, I couldn't just leave all of my family. Mm -hmm. You get people who are like, well, if I could take you know, some of my family with me, you know, I'd think about it, but there's so many things I haven't seen here. You know, like, yeah, there's a lot that I haven't seen here. I mean, yeah. but at the same time, if you told me that I would get to, you know, experience life on a different planet and, and all I had to do was step on board. Sure. It's like at what, you know, like at what point does, you know, what we have here become meaningless? I mean, Ezekiel took that ride, didn't he? In the Bible. <laughs> you'll have to remind me it's been a while since i've read the bible oh Ezekiel! uh god came down in a fiery storm and took ezekiel up in uh up to the heavens and ezekiel pretty much described a spaceship you know and then uh enoch i think it is mm. right like there's so there's two mm -hmm. i watch ancient aliens a lot you know <laughs> i just i, I don't, love to reference that stuff I, yeah. I don't agree that you know everything that they're talking about is true but looking at the megalithic structures to me is just amazing and then little little evidences that history is wrong like finding human footprints next to dinosaur prints is amazing to me because we think well we're about 5000 7000 years old and the dinosaurs they went extinct 65 million years ago so in that meantime how did that happen and i love that you know what i mean I don't care. I, I don't care I, about other life. It's going to affect me or not. But the history of our planet being expanded, that just amazes me, you know? Well, I, it makes me think of, again, I've had the thought of like, well, what are what would an ancient troll be like? Right. What would he do? Right. Yeah. He, he can't go to YouTube <laughs> to stir the pot. So maybe he oh, made yeah. giant big bird feet and just walked around on a beach you know, for, for 10 years straight. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love you know, that. and. I, I love the idea that, you know, cause I mean, let's be real honest, practical jokers like, like us have been around for a long time. Yeah. So it's, that. it's just always interesting to see how, what that might've looked like. I mean, even to the point where it's like our, our very concept of, of, you know, animal intelligence has, has changed over the course of, oh. you know, over yeah. the course of you know modern history Holy you know I, I agree i i used to work at um medieval times and i spent a lot of time um working with the horses and training them and that really i've always i've always respected animal intelligence in the sense that i've never believed that they're just wholly stupid and that uh 
that they are so far removed from our own, let's say, level of thinking that right. we can disregard them. And I can tell you without any doubt that after working with horses, they have as much nuance to their personality and their intelligence respective to themselves as we do. Yeah. And I don't think that, I think that matters. I think, you know, mm -hmm. I think that has a, that at least should be respected, uh, but it by far more should be studied. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the question on audio pong, actually, what's the difference between us and humans, right? Yeah, uh, I, I do that to Zach all the time. And it's tough not to bring it, especially right. when we talk, have a conversation like this. It's tough not to uh, yeah. conjure that first. But my, you know, it's for me, like the I think I, the realization that I had, you know, was watching was watching one of my dogs dream as a kid one time. <laughs> You know, and, and even now when, when Billy's asleep and, and I'm watching her dream, it's like, if, if they were just, you know, mindless beings, you wouldn't see that, but they're dreaming. Right. What are they, what are they dreaming about? And you can tell that they, they have good dreams and they have bad dreams, mm. you know, cause I I've seen, you know, Billy, you know, yipe in her sleep. I've watched Billy wag her tail in her sleep and and you know just you know there has to be a certain level of intelligence in order to have those kind of dreams without a doubt and i mean in my opinion i've read something about dreams it's a very interesting topic to uh, to consider because the science behind it is of course neurological but why does a mind of any level of intelligence generate abstract reality uh the best theory I've, or i guess idea i've heard about it is that the mind does not categorize fear or emergency uh to any sort of specific relevance in other words if you're in a, a fire that's burning down or i'm sorry if you're in a, in a building that's burning down as opposed to um i don't know watching something else equally as tragic occur mm -hmm. uh, the mind doesn't say well we're gonna have one level of fear for that and another level of fear for the other for the other instance the other event it's just the same level of fear occurring in your mind the same emergency the same level of adrenaline right. being pumped into you ukraine so ukraine do that. cured covid right because they weren't fearing covid anymore yeah right there's not a, you know if you feared the pandemic as much as you fear war right. in your mind chemically what's going on it's equal right? right even though you may think one is more drastic than the other so dreams do that though they they their abstractions generate fear and um alarms let's call them mm -hmm. that according to this one psychologist prepare us for similar levels of fear and emergency in real situations and that made sense to me because it, it applied to me wow okay. um my nightmares you could say helped me manage very stressful moments in my life both in work and my personal life and in in, in a weird abstract way i was able to reference those nightmares my, my my mind brought me to that place so that i could calm myself down oh. and approach things logically can i tell you my last nightmare i just had it last night sure. it was flow from that insurance commercial laying in my bed in an apron explaining to me why she wears an apron and i woke <laughs> up before she answered it it was weird <laughs> so, so now you're prepared for any boring board meeting right. you may have to go to about aprons <laughs> But, you know, I want to, here's what's so interesting. I try and get stuff together for the minds that I I have on, right? And, of course, one of the questions I had was, are animals, what are the difference, right? And the second one was, it, are animals evolving on their own timeline? You know, like, why aren't elephants um, building houses, right? Because they're evolving on their own. We, we talked about animals. Um, what if God was one of us is a question I had. We answered that. <laughs> uh, is there life after death? We covered that. So I love the fact that I had us, I, I predicted, predicted a tangent, actually. I kind of like this. <laughs> life after death. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk forever about any of those topics, right. I think. Well, when you say life after death, or do you mean like conscious life after death? Oh, probably not. Jeffrey was explaining how if he could go to space he would mm -hmm. and all i was saying was that it, we're gonna die and go there anyway right so all oh, right either yeah. we take the jump or we're gonna be forced to go anyway 
I don't know. Energy doesn't dissipate, right? Einstein's. Well, yeah, no matter is never born. It's just reused. Right. And I love universe analogies. You know, people always get upset when somebody disappears out of their life, but I always see it as like an orbit, right? Like you're the God Mars and you're on the other side of the sun as me right now, but you'll come back around. Right. And so it's a wonderful way to look at it. I do have an interesting question. Let's, let's, let's get into this. I had, I, I wrote down some questions for some of the most introspective and thoughtful minds that I was going to be around. So, and here's a real easy one to get us started. And this one was, I came up with all on my own. Nobody has ever asked this question before. I find it fascinating. The chicken or the egg? <laughs> that is actually a really good question. Well, I, uh, I know the answer. I'm just wondering if you all do. You know what I mean? The egg. Yep. Okay. Good. Let's move on. <laughs> I knew if they got boring, we would figure it out. I mean, well, what I think is that something resembling a chicken um, laid an egg that turned out to be more like a chicken that laid an egg that was finally a chicken that laid an egg. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's essentially what Richard Dawkins talks about. I love this um, Richard Dawkins. (laughs) uh, I think it was trying to remember the name of the book. um, Oh, geez. The Selfish Gene. Uh, That's it's regarded, I think, as a scientific book, but really that book is something everyone should read it really changed the way i even look at life in general and, and it's just its origins and how it how it moves mm-hmm. i love it and i'll put the link in the description portion of this podcast so everybody can find that is it ethical to eat meat i'm sorry well ethics i mean okay we if we try to apply here's what i think morality is is a fun thing to try and apply to everything mm-hmm. because I think I agree with Christopher Hitchens that the the origin of morality is selfish, but that doesn't make it disingenuous or evil. Um, if we do good things, it makes it better for ourselves and others, right? So mm-hmm. generally, it's a way of it's born from survival. That's the way I look at it. But I don't think that the same level of ethics is applicable across the board. So you know, there isn't like a morality hammer. That we just smash everything with right you know whether it's a glass egg or a skyscraper so yes i i would say it is ethical to eat meat me too i would i would agree with that okay. as long as it's not a human meat oh uh, you would you would be surprised the, uh... how many people believe in consensual cannibalism <laughs> that's a term uh i haven't heard that one yet I mean, thank you i used to bite I... my fingernails right so yeah I mean, when you look at, you know, I mean, that's the thing is, is that when you look at ethics, it's, you, you hear the argument, animals don't want to be eaten. Well, you know, most people don't want to die either, but the, the thing about it is, is that when you look at consumption of meat, I would say that there's an ethical way to consume meat and there's, uh, unethical ways in which it's done and and i would argue that we constantly fight the unethical side of it which is you know the mistreatment of the animals you know yes even though it's destined to be on your dinner plate that doesn't mean that you get you have the right to treat it with cruelty you know it's it's no different than when you're out hunting in the wild you know there's a certain level of respect you're supposed to have um and at some point if you find yourself crossing that you know like killing an animal just for the sake of killing an animal then you need to reevaluate yourself and your priorities boom okay is it ever right to be wrong jeffrey is it ever okay to be wrong oh it's always okay to be wrong it's just not okay to continue to be wrong when you've been educated on something how do you feel zach is it okay to be wrong once in a while yeah it's important to be wrong um I like that. I think going off what Jeffrey said that you you're malicious if you continually apply what is wrong, if it is harmful to others. In my mind, um, you know, not to be totally like callous, but I I really don't care what people do as long as it doesn't harm others. If you don't, if you don't, you're not harming anyone else with what you do, then it's okay to be so-called wrong. But if you're if you're asking from a more of like scientific point of view, as uh, mm-hmm. You know, whether any, or not any point you know, of view. the sky is blue, for example, then, yeah, or the earth is round, um, it's okay to be wrong as long as you're not harming others with 
your wrongness. Right. Mm-hmm. I do this podcast to bring brighter minds in and diverse perspectives in to be proven wrong. Because if I'm proven wrong here, all those people that are listening that are also wrong, they don't have to be proved wrong to be enlightened. And so that's my oh, whole I thing. Agree. I love I, being mm-hmm. wrong. I have no problem being wrong. <laughs> and when people tell me I'm wrong, I appreciate the I, I appreciate their perspective. So thank you. I, yeah. Oh, I agree. I immediately want to know yeah. what they mean. I mean, I've been told mm-hmm. oh, you're a great teacher. It's like, well, I I want to be a student again. Right. You know, I want to I want to be learning. So finding right. out you're wrong is kind of fun, actually. Yeah. Oh, I love I love to be proved wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I uh, I'm certainly like I certainly uh, I will be a little bit upset if I'm wrong, but at the same time. <laughs> Right. You know, I'm not upset with the person that's proving me wrong. No. I'm upset with myself for having wrong information. For the time you invested in in a wrong tangent, right? Oh, absolutely. Like you, you know, especially especially when you're like dead certain that what you've known <laughs> is correct. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're presented with irrefutable proof and it's like, Yeah. How in the hell did I miss this? Jesus holding a frog, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. I got a good question for you, Marco, and I don't know. This is one of my own. Is anything provable or real to all, or can anything be subject to alternative facts? Well, that's what we talked about recently, Zach and I, um, perception. So you got into my subconscious as I was doing the note and listening to your show. We were preparing. Nice. And uh, yeah, perception is something that we we have to use and deal with i think our our mind emulates it vir- literally virtually emulates reality right it, it's constantly drawing what we see like a computer program mm-hmm. um, or a character moving through a video game so there's people that believe that only what we witness is real and everything outside of our ability to see and think doesn't exist until we we dream it i think that's a bit too existential number one where's the evidence for that i'm very much you know a hard data kind of person but also i think that yes what we perceive can as real will change and it and it does change and that's where we bristle that's where we we butt heads and and it's used against us i that's my mm-hmm. my biggest fear my biggest contention with social media is that that is constantly being used we're constantly pitted against uh, each other over things that we sh- I thought we had settled at least 40 years ago, yeah. but here we are. My perspective right. is this, and it's more important than your visualization of it, right? Well, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our ego was given to us as a broadsword, and how many of us turn it into a scalpel? Right. Mm-hmm. I always look at perspectives as sunglasses. And because I, when I was a kid, I had like green sunglasses and red sunglasses. And when you took them off, you could still see the world through those glasses. And so I love gathering perspectives and then looking at a situation through all of them and finding the one constant, the one spot in the Venn diagram of all of them. That's real. You know, that's what I use perspectives for. I, I don't, I think I'm a vessel for other people's perspectives. I don't really know if I have one on my, of my own until I'm in the silence long enough, you know? Well, you could say, I would say it's a disputation even for satisfaction, right? Yeah. You know, when do you stop? Never. Are, Are you satisfied? Never. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Jeffrey? Is there anything that's real? I mean, if I tell you that something is red, can we both be assured that we're seeing the same color red? Ooh, another thought experiment. Kind of. <sighs> yeah. I love these. So we talk about what is real mm-hmm. a lot. You know, we we a lot of times we try to limit it down to the five senses. Okay. So in here's my question then. Have you ever had a dream? that has literally incorporated all of your five senses and then you wake up was that not real and you can make the argument that it is and it isn't so i'll argue both a dream isn't real because we know that when we wake up we're back in reality there are things we can touch see taste smell and we know that what we experienced was chemicals and neurons firing to create pictures and sensations no different than what our brain does but then by that same regard what makes a dream real is the fact that it takes all of our senses and applies them in such a way that we feel we can taste we can smell we can hear 
we can do all of these things within our dreams. And, and oftentimes, you know, like real life, we have no control over those very same things. So are dreams reality? And can reality be a dream? And I think that you would be hard pressed to say one way or the other. And of course, there's going to be people that sit down and go, well, a dream can't be reality. That's not possible. But wasn't it real to your mind in those moments? Those the same things, reality and real. Like Marco was saying that he takes lessons away from his nightmares because they prepare him for events in real life of equal danger, right? And so he takes mm-hmm. lessons away from a dream, which is tangible and something he can access which makes them real but i don't know if that dream that he experienced is a reality but but then but then here you go this this is where it gets absolutely difficult Mm -hmm. to say that it isn't reality you have no experience in interpreting reality beyond your own experience right what you view as reality is going to be different from what I view as reality. Mm. Just in the way by nature that we experience life through our own senses. Your reality has been altered by the fact that your ability to see is much different than, let's say, the reality that you have in dreaming. My reality of being able to see my reality in my dreams. Marco's reality of being able to see. So by the definition of reality, using all of these senses, does that mean that what you experience is more akin to a dream than actual reality? Because you are, how do we say it, inhibited in one particular sense, much like you might be inhibited within a dream. Is there moments in sleep when we are able to move into another dimension that is real? Well, when I was 15, I thought that was, I studied, um, out of body experiences oh. and I was set on, on, on making, making it happen. I listened to a lot of art bell and coast to coast. I don't know if you guys remember that show in the nineties Yep. and, um, yeah, so that was all about anything that was considered controversial, you, you know, aliens and uh, metaphysics, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I succeeded. I did succeed at two things. One, I learned an amazing, t- uh, body relaxation technique that allows me to sleep at will. Um, and it's very simple. I can explain it if you want it too, that I, I discovered what I essentially discovered was meditation. Mm. Um, and I, and I meditated for many years after that, but I had been doing it wrong. And I think that that was a huge change in my perception when I realized that meditation was not relaxation technique, but really just being a witness to yourself, to your own thoughts and to the things around you. But the, the relaxation um, part of it that I learned from this many books I'd read at the time was to when you're laying on your back and you're in bed, you begin with your toes. The first thing you can feel at the bottom of your body um, or the end of your body, however you want to look at that, um, the muscles that you can feel tense them and hold them tensed for 15 seconds. And do that all the way up your body every time tensing for 15 seconds until you reach the last muscle that you can feel in your head or you know your scalp and when you do that your body will feel i guarantee like like a puddle you know on the floor you will be so relaxed and your mind so clear and so open and because i had done it the first time i did that correctly i i had this incredibly horrible feeling it was it was terrifying the first time of falling through my bed which was according to the books i had read the first step into leaving your body which just so we're clear i don't believe you can do at least from my point of view but that that experience was terrifying it literally felt like i was leaving my body and i experienced paralysis i could not move i couldn't scream or speak and it lasted i want to say about 20 seconds which is an eternity by the way When you lose control of your body yeah try and, <laughs> feels try and like record forever. something for 20 seconds it takes forever yeah yeah i believe we can leave our bodies so that's very interesting i like that yeah i can't i can't say we don't i just that i i don't believe we can i haven't done it properly maybe right but i love this idea of taking the beginning of the show and the end of our show and like trying that relaxation exercise in a puddle of cuddle 
<laughs> there you go. It's full circle. Full circle. Yeah, I like that idea of relaxation. I, I like giving people the chance to do it. I like this. This has been a pretty good show. I don't know if I want to go much further. Let's see. We did the meat thing. We answered a lot of the questions just in normal conversation. Should murderers be executed? I've talked about my perspective before, so I'm actually interested to hear what you have to say, Marco. Um, so I'm immediately at least reminded of an example that Sam Harris gave at a free will lecture in Australia where he i'll try to shorten it but basically imagine you're you're just sitting somewhere say a bench and um you're attacked by a crocodile and the crocodile rips off one of your hands right but you recover you survive um you may at one point after you've healed um even look back on the situation somewhat jovially because you, you know if, if it's now in let's say an enclosure at a zoo or something you can take your friends and your family to visit so that's that's the beast that almost killed me and boy what a great story it makes but when you swap out the crocodile for a man with an axe something drastically changes uh, not just in how you feel about the event but also how it will sort of unfold let's say legally right because we'll we'll prosecute a man with an axe we won't prosecute a crocodile at least not anymore and we also don't feel guilty about killing the crocodile not really we're not going to stop society you know um and change a great deal of laws or suggest a great change in laws just because we killed a crocodile that took a man's hand but we will if we start to judge a man with an axe because let's say the motive of the man with an axe was uh, psychopathic he he's mentally ill so he was literally playing out the same his brain is playing out the same events that a crocodile will he's uh, he's not within control let's say instinct willful control right it's all instinctive so he's doing what the crocodile would have done so is he a crocodile and if you could cure him let's say a pill or some type of medical technology would you then want to still judge him would you want to kill him so i think that's where i personally draw the line i think that uh it is important to have harsh punishment in order to um establish the the veracity of laws that need to be that need to be vicious because what is our judicial system it's an attempt at decency it's man's feeble if i can steal from you know the bonfire of the vanities it's man's feeble attempt at decency so if we don't, if we keep everything too lukewarm, then then it doesn't mean anything. It won't have the impact we want it to have, which is technically the greater good, let's right. call it. But if we could cure a murderer, a psychopath at least, um, of let's say his mental illness, his, his um, impulse to kill or to harm, then I think morally we should. What we do with him after that, how he suffers or how he rehabilitates after that, that's an even bigger topic. But I think the goal is to fix the person. I, I also feel that people who serve, I'll end with this, people who do serve, let's say, a long time in prison, because I've known many ex-cons uh, for different reasons, and I do consider them, for the most part, rehabilitated. They they paid their debt to society, so they, they should be treated as, as citizens again. Um, again, there's exceptions, but that's how I feel about it. Read. I believe that prison should be an education system that churns out doctorates and bachelors and masters. Yes. I think that would be great. And I think I I, I think that if we had free health care and free mental health care for every individual in America, we could stop the murderers and rapists and pedophiles before they became assailants because i think if they had an off-ramp to say i want to kill somebody and somebody was there to say here's why you shouldn't before they did it maybe they wouldn't and then we would know the extremists from just the spontaneous you know what i mean i'm going to rock the boat a little bit rock the casbah rock the casbah i don't i don't believe life has the same sanctity as most other people do <laughs> and oh, i say I that, that and i say that not because i don't think you know life is precious i do think that life can be but this idea that it is you know this thing that we have to protect in in 
you know, I would say the, the traditional Christian way is, is an outdated way of thinking when, from when we were a much smaller population that didn't really necessarily understand the mechanics of how life was created. Right. And so what we're looking at with, you know, almost 8 billion people on the planet is, is that, you know, we know how life works. We know how life is created. Life gets churned out every single day. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that life that gets churned out every single day, it is clear that if life were sacred, life would be treated the same from one end to the other. And it's not. Nobody thinks that way. They think that way from a book. They think that way from a sermon. They think that way from a religious perspective or, you know, some some type of spiritual perspective. But the way that the way in which life is treated is very much not that way. Now, differences. I don't I don't uh, agree with the death penalty for the same reason most people uh, don't agree with the death penalty. I don't agree with the death penalty, not because I think life is sacred. I don't agree with the death penalty because the cost of getting somebody to the electric chair to lethal injection is worth far more than if they were housed within the system for the rest of their lives and either attempted and, and either, and either they are, you know, worked with or rehabilitated or they're not. And they're just a person that belongs locked away from society because they are a danger. But the reason, the other reason why I also do not like the death penalty is because there is a 4% chance as things currently stand that that person sitting on death row is an innocent person. And I firmly do not believe in executing innocence. And so if you're, if you're telling me if there is a 4% chance that there is somebody that is sitting there in a cell, one in 25, one of those people did not have anything to do with, or is not guilty of a crime that deserves death. That is a huge problem to me. That is not worth executing everybody. Well, I think that's an important distinction. Um, I actually agree. I think in my mind, when I, where I agree with violence as an answer, especially like permanent violence um, is in a, in in response. Like if you're being attacked, right. Um, yep. If you need to protect, if you need to protect yourself, or or even someone important to you, right? Uh, and the only answer is to eliminate the other, the attacker. Then you should. But yep. yeah, I, I think I, I agree. It's it's rather impractical. There's a lot of things, um, especially with the prison system. Just from what I learned from listening to others that have been in it, that is just hugely impractical. Agreed. Um, yep. And expensive to us, but lucrative to others. And that was something yep. I learned when I worked in construction. Yeah. For the state of Illinois, that. Uh, so uh, in many ways a money machine where they're betting our tax dollars so they have no loss on their investment right. um yeah so that it's all over definitely yeah. yep we have to end this episode but i do want to say somebody that's guilty of one thing might be innocent of 99 other things you know it's like ah maybe i don't know maybe there's something went wrong in the person but that doesn't mean that they're all bad i like the rehabilitation if our system was rehabilitating people thank you for listening to public access america come back this thursday for more fun and action to those who would tear the world down we will defeat you this is our moment this is our time to those who seek peace and security we support you yes we can and to all those who have wondered if america's beacon still burns as bright tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our Place. And I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children.
Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. To public, to public access, access America. America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams on YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter, on Twitter. Twitter. Apple, Apple Podcast, Podcast. Stitcher, Smart Stitcher, Radio, Smart Radio, 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 Public, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access public America. Access history, America. In history in the making. Making history making in the history making. In the At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.